0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Russian Football News podcast. It's a bit of a change of host this evening, as our regular James regular host James Nichols is regrettably absent. Um, um, therefore, I am your substitute host tonight, Richard David Pike. Last weekend, we saw the final match day of Russian Premier League action before the winter break. Later on in the podcast, I will update everyone on the results of the action in the final round of our PR games before Christmas. We'll take an in-depth look into one game in particular, Dinamo Moscow versus Zenit St. Petersburg, the game of the weekend. And analyse Russia's recent draw, which was done today, for the 2022-23 UEFA Nations League Group B. As mentioned at the end of last week's podcast tonight i am joined on the ifm podcast by a very special guest and i'll let her introduce herself now
1: hello everyone uh, my name is anda konovalova and uh, i am uh, the austrian football analyst uh, for football raider uh, which is a british-based uh, football data company and Apart from that, I'm just in general really interested in Austrian, German, Central European football, Russian also, and yeah, this is how you know me. You can find me on Twitter or anywhere by um, the handle imanch uh, and by the handle fr football um, anna.
0: Fantastic. Dobry Anna, a cactila. Отлично. <laughs> yeah, that's the only Russian we'll be speaking on the podcast tonight. Um, I need to get some serious practice done over the over the festive season. Um, so yeah, we have um, tonight's podcast, we're going to focus on um, examining, because uh, obviously Anna is a specialist in um, Austrian and German football, in addition to her beloved Spartak Moscow. We're going to be um, discussing tonight um, some of the similarities and differences between Austrian football german football and uh the and russian football that 's what the majority of the podcast will focus on today so um we've we've drafted a, a range of um, questions to ask anna um and I'm, i'll start off with um i'll start off with um, the first question i mean supporting Spartak um, is surely already punishment enough um if you can excuse the the joke, but um, can I ask, how did you also choose uh, Bio for Leverkusen as your German Bundesliga team, especially given the trauma that that has come with supporting them over the years in addition to Spartak?
1: Yeah, these teams clearly have lots of things in common, but uh, actually I think the story should start with how I came to Austrian football because Leverkusen appeared in my life through Austrian football Uh, because, um, well, with Austria, the story is pretty simple. It all started with Stanislav Cherchesov. <laughs> uh, in <laughs> early 2010s, uh, I think it was 2012, uh, me and my best friend at the time, we went to Tirol, to the surroundings of Innsbruck, uh, just for vacation in summer, you know, to climb mountains and so on and so on. And I, as a generally in person who's generally interested in football, I decided to research what's up with uh, football out there. And it turned out that the legendary FC Tirol, uh, where Stani Chesov has spent uh, a great part of his career, we would say. Uh, it's still, uh, this club doesn't exist right now as it is, but it has a Phoenix club called Wacker Reinsburg. At the time, they were in the Austrian Bundesliga. And I started like keep, to keep an eye on them, because why not? We have this connection through Charchesov and so on and so on. They were struggling in the Bundesliga. They got relegated after a couple of years. But in these two years, uh, I have started just following the whole league. And at the time, it was the moment when Red Bull Salzburg rose. Because it was the, it, it were the first uh, Ravnik years. And the club has been developing really quickly. And at the time, they have had a manager called Hoga Schmidt. Who later in 2014... Uh, went to Bayer Leverkusen. and I just started following Bayer Leverkusen through him, and this is how I got myself to this point.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, very nice. That's great. That's great. That's great to hear. Um, yeah, because I was, I was, you know, I was just. Obviously, I remember I was meeting um on Twitter um and we were talking about it. I remember that night. It was earlier in the year, wasn't it? And um, yeah, I was I was always wondered, I was always curious why, why Leverkusen were your team, I And mean, that's that's a great story. I really like that. Obviously, my earliest memories of Bayer Leverkusen came back in the at the turn of the millennium when um, they nearly won the league in two thousand and uh, the treble horror of two thousand and two. Um, obviously. I'm obviously an athletic supporter, but my family also support Manchester United. And I still remember that 2002 semi-final very, very well against Bayer Leverkusen. So obviously, yeah, it was um, it was interesting. They had a great team back then. Um, but yeah, no, that that's absolutely fantastic. Um, and yeah, so as for Austrian football, yeah, that kind of led, led us on to our next um, question. Um, so yeah, um, so I guess that's how your um, your love for Austrian football also um, happened in the, in that very same trip. Uh, do you have a favourite team in um, Austrian football? Was it um, Innsbruck, or was it is it somebody else?
1: Yeah, I still uh, have a lot of connection to Vakir I went to several matches they played. I know some people at the club. So uh, I'm still very well connected with this team. That brought me to Austrian football. But right now they are not in the Bundesliga. They play in the Zweite Liga, which is the second tier of Austrian football. Uh, They are a very chaotic club. So you you actually can sense the pattern of the clubs that I'm choosing to follow. (laughs) Because uh, (laughs) all the three of them, like the main ones, I... Uh, focus my attention on are exactly the same (laughs) in this sense so yeah but I think I can call them my Austrian club
0: and just finally because we might as well complete the set of um three chaotic clubs um was your choice of Spartak in Russia was it through parents was it through friends or just sheer discovery
1: Uh, Yeah, it just runs in the family. My dad uh, used to be a massive Spartak fan and he actually uh, kept taking me to the stadium from a very early age. I think uh, my first match that I attended was around when I was six. Uh, We actually tried to... um, remember the exact matches that he took me like for groundhopper purposes and so on, and we couldn't really do that, but I think it was around the age of six. And uh, yeah, we used to go a lot. Um, I actually live quite close to the uh, Dynamo Moscow Stadium, fierce rivals, but uh, yet again, um, we used to always go to Spartak away games on the stadium just for logistical purposes, because it's easy and because Spartak used to play everywhere around moscow in uh before the hot uh, Arena was uh, was built so um yeah this is how it happened
0: fantastic yeah i think my earliest memories of Spartak were um the champions league tie against arsenal in 2000 when i remember what i was like 11 years old at the time and um, i think i was switching some highlights on television and I just saw all the snow in Moscow and just thinking, this is crazy playing football in this weather. And I just remember, I think it was Yegor Titov, Robson, uh, the Brazilian forward, and Yegor Titov um, having an absolutely brilliant game against a great Arsenal side back then, obviously coached by Arsene Wenger. So, yeah, that was probably my earliest memories of of Russian football full stop and, and of Spartak, so... Oh, that's absolutely fantastic um so yeah um a, bit of a chaotic theme with all three clubs because all of them um, seem to be you know um a little unstable let's just say unstable or seem to you know have a habit of dodging uh, trophies <laughs> but um but yeah um that, that's absolutely fantastic so yeah um interestingly there's been a link between um, Spartak and Austrian football just in the last few days as um, young um, Leon Klassen, I think he's 21 years of age um, of yes. uh, Tirol uh, he has been linked with a move to Spartak recently and I've actually read somewhere today that the transfer fee is it's either it's either 1 million euros or just under I think that's the the fee being uh, reported. Um, so, as your uh, Austrian football expert, Anna, uh, could you give us um, some lowdown on, um, on Klassen and what Spartak fans and Russian football and Russian Premier League fans as a whole, uh, who follow RFN and follow Russia, and the Russian league, can expect from um, Klassen if he is to sign for Spartak?
1: Um, I actually think that uh, there are indications that the transfer is going to go through because uh, Vesgeti Hall have recently announced a new left back. So that's a direct replacement. Uh, But I think uh, Klassen is a rising star in a way, but for the size of the Austrian Bundesliga, which is uh, a more modest league than the Russian league, actually. Uh, He um, has been seen as a talented uh, young player at his previous club at uh, uh, München, at the blue side of München. But he never really made... uh, big breakthrough that he was expected to do so he came to, to all, um this summer with pretty modest expectations from him because uh, is uh, are a very um, also modest club with almost no money they're always trying to get uh, youngsters on loan from interesting places or just on a free so um, and they managed to compose a really cool looking squad for the couple of the last couple of seasons uh and clausen was just their typical transfer uh, i wouldn't say he's the biggest star in the team but he has been showing consistent good uh, performances uh he's uh, a certain starter at the club um he's good at tackling he's good at crossing he's good at pressing like basically that's everything you need from a more or less universal fullback nowadays uh and uh, actually, if the transfer goes through, I would be really happy for this. Get you all because, uh, as I've said, they are not the richest club in Austria and their budget for the year is about three and a half millions. So just imagine if they managed to pull this uh, one million transfer, how happy would they that be?
0: That's just remarkable. Like Even like, you know, coming as someone from England who probably you can see third tier sides with considerably... Larger budgets than that. It, it's just that's just incredible. Blows my mind. Three and a half million euros. Yeah, that that is a huge cash injection for uh, for Tirol. Um, I saw. Yeah, I was looking at his stats just um, just yesterday. Actually, I think he's got six assists. Which I think the correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't they third or fourth bottom of the um, of the Austrian Bundesliga at the moment? I think that's where they are, aren't they?
1: Yeah, they have been struggling a bit this season because they had a big squad overhaul in the summer and uh, it took time for them to adapt, adjust and adapt again. But they have a really cool manager that has been working uh, with uh, the team for, I think, nine years now. His name is Thomas It He's obviously the longest service, uh, serving manager in the, in the league because in Austria... It's the ever chaotic carousel of uh, managers every year. And uh, they are getting back to their normal way.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I saw his stats. And like I say for a team that are struggling now down, down near the bottom of the league, that is those are impressive stats to get six assists. So I'm quite excited about that. You know, I think Spartak probably do need someone uh, to fill in at left-back. Um, and give Ayrton some competition for his place. Uh, Ayrton Lucas, the Brazilian left-back, um, mm-hmm. And I think you know this is this is quite a smart signing. Obviously, I think he's is he dual is he dual German uh, Russian? Is it is that his nationality? Yes, or? yes, yes, yes. So obviously now he'll be taking the Russian passport and therefore won't won't count on the foreign limit. So so yeah, alongside um alongside Daniel Husevich from um, Arsenal Tula, that's two quite nice transfers for Spartak to improve their squad um going into the winter break, um. So, yeah, um, I'm excited to to watch Klaassen. I'll certainly keep my eyes open for him if that transfer goes through. But um, but let's um, continue on with the theme of Austrian football and in comparison to Russian football. Now, Austria recently has been going through a, um, a coefficient surge. Obviously, Russia was uh, ranked sixth for a good period of time in the coefficient ratings, the Russian Premier League, but... Obviously, let's not. We've we've gone through them hundreds of times on this podcast before. They've uh, the Russian Premier League has had a drop recently in the last couple of years. It does look like it's stabilizing a bit now, but unfortunately, this is going to cost the Russian Premier League quite a lot. I noticed how um, just recently you mentioned Anna about um, the Russian league being more mo- the Russian league being more modest compared to the Russian Premier League, but. You know, you, the Austrian Bundesliga now is ranked eighth in Europe. Um, which you know, um, I was listening to the other Bundesliga podcast yesterday. Great podcast, of Austrian football, by the way, highly recommended. And um, they were all uh, the three guys hosting that were absolutely buzzing about the, the state of um, Austrian football at the moment, delighted at the results in Europe and the and the rise in the coefficients and i have to say it is very very impressive how how they have risen so um so i'm just wondering what's been behind this rise in the austrian bundesliga recently in recent seasons and you know what good things has uh, the austrian bundesliga done in recent seasons that russian that the russian premier league and russian football as a whole can can take what what do you think um can be um taken from Austria and implemented into Russia to you know, get the Russian League back up to that eight spot or even higher in the coefficients?
1: Um, yeah, there have been several processes that have been going on for the past, I think, seven, eight years that uh, benefited to the current state of the Austrian football. Because obviously they have a giant club with a perfect infrastructure that is Red Bull Salzburg, that is... Um, Developing massively, absolutely massively. It's uh, it's been a great pleasure to watch this project form and uh, uh, finally reach its current state. But at the same time, um, there was a big split in in the mid decade in the past decade uh, between smaller teams that want to grow and develop, and several uh, big clubs like Rapid Vienna, Austria Vienna Sturm, not really. Uh, keeping up with the progress because the smaller clubs are structured in a way that they allow more progress more young people more um development maybe some technologies they're not afraid of doing that in the Austrian league whereas uh the big clubs are um, less flexible about that and they missed several things so right now we can see that uh, austria vienna is in financial shambles uh, Rapid and Sturm are getting better in the last couple of years, but they have been in a, in a dark hole for a while. But at the same time, we have uh, clubs like LASK, for example, like uh, Wolfsburg, uh, even small ones like Hardberg, who managed to reach uh Europa League uh, qualification, uh, in, I think last summer they played it. Uh Yet again, being a team with a budget of four and something millions per year. Uh, and uh, this process of small clubs, like finding their identities and trying to uh, keep up with this identity. So it's like it's sustainability. The key word is sustainability. Uh, this is a thing that uh, led to the moment when we are now that uh, Austria ha- has uh, four had four teams in the group stage of European competitions uh, for two consecutive years, which hasn't been a case for, for a long, long time. So um, I think in Russia, in Russian football, we don't really have the sustainability from small clubs. OK, they're not financially stable uh, because most of them are not private. They are funded by government and they don't really know when this, uh, these funds are going to end. So they can't plan ahead. But the thing that has been um, uh, the main reason of the progress of the Austrian league is uh, this sustainability, and uh, that the club started to learn to think ahead, to think two steps ahead, and not like day f- early from day to day.
0: Yeah, I, I was. I say, obviously, I listen to the other Bundesliga podcast a lot, and you know i remember um last year when um they had save wolf Wolfsberger you know the when they um when wolfsberger um beat saska you know they they were absolutely delighted on the pod there and it is inc- it is impressive yeah, I remember them also mentioning hartberg as well um you know these clubs are definitely improving and um you know You can see it with the coefficient now. You can see it with, you know, LASK having a perfect um, Europa League campaign and they've they've had a difficult start to this year's Bundesliga season. You know, Rapid have not had the best of starts, but yet they're still in Europe after Christmas. And um, and yeah, Salzburg, obviously the big one, you know, they've consistently been improving the last three, four years in Europe, you know, and... um, They've now got the reward in the Champions League knockout against uh, Bayern Munich, which is you know credit to them and um, showcases the 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 level of improvement. I I do I do see where you're coming from with the with the um the comparisons there because obviously you know we we've mentioned this problem for a while with with Russian Premier League clubs um and some clubs in the in the Fenial as well about them you know being dependent on um the regional government um not quite enough private investment. We are slowly starting to see with some clubs in the Feniel now, um, the first shoots of it, you know, with Velez, Moscow, uh, Akron and one or two others. But yeah, it's it's still got a long way to go. Uh, I'm just curious as well, because obviously we talk about this all the time on... um on the RFM podcast about the foreigner limit, um, if anyone out there listens to, obviously our, our regular listeners to our podcast will know that um, we constantly keep bringing up, bringing it up as um, a negative about Russian football because um, obviously it's eight, eight, eight foreign players maximum allowed in the squads. Obviously in uh, in Russian Premier League squads, obviously in Austria, um, there is obviously no limit on the amount of EU players who can play um, in the squads. What's the situation with non-EU players? Can I know in some um, European leagues there are situations where there's a maximum uh, amount of non-EU players you can have are there, are there any restrictions in Austria or is it very very um, liberal with the policy
1: actually there is a foreign quarter in uh, in Austria but it's like a soft one because uh, you have to have no more than six foreign players it just it doesn't mean if they're from EU or whatever they just don't have the Austrian passport uh, no more than six uh, players in the matchday squad. But if you fail this, if you don't comply with this, uh, you uh, just don't get the... Uh, there is uh, a thing called like the Austrian pots. Every quarter you get about uh, 400 uh, euros if you comply with the a quarter. If you don't comply with it, you just not don't get this money so it's a choice most teams uh choose to respect the quarter but there is Salzburg, who obviously doesn't care about it so they are just playing on with whoever they want and i think this way is uh yeah okay i'm completely against all foreigner quotas in the end but uh this soft way of doing that is much better than actual uh strict restrictions
0: yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I mean, if it was a case that that was implemented in the RPL and th- I'm sure that the large teams like Zenit, Spartak, Dynamo would just happily, you know, not, you know, just it's to it's cover what you've just said there is the equivalent to like paying like a 400 euro fine or something. I'm sure the likes of Zenit, Spartak, Dynamo would happily do that if it meant they could upgrade their squads and get more depth, you know, for the European competitions to improve the overall level of the RPL. Um, yeah, so, I mean, like I say, we, we go on about it all the time on um, RFN, we're, we're all against the limit and we, we've still curiously not heard anything yet um, about um, the limit being changed. Um, we we discussing it at the start of the season but it all seems to have gone very quiet but um, we'll keep our we'll keep our eyes peeled for any uh, any news on that so one last thing I'd like to say because as part of the hypercube reforms of Russian football there was talk of also changing the league structure I'm just interested to um, know what your opinion is on the uh, the Austrian Bundesliga structure because there was talk of when reforms for the RPL were mentioned, there was talk of maybe a split in the league. Now, I know Austrian football is a 12... Austrian Bundesliga is a 12-team league and it's the top six go into the championship group and the bottom six go into the relegation group. I have to admit, if you were going to shorten the RPL and um, I'm quite a fan of that that kind of system because it's obviously a... Um, I think it's going to be a 22-game regular season and then I think, don't the top six play each other home and away? So you end up with a 32-game season, which I think is given, obviously, the meteorological conditions in Russian football, you know, you you can't have too long a season because you have to factor into account the winter break. I think 32 um, teams is doable if you were going to shrink the size of the league. And I think... Copying the Austrian Bundesliga model would be quite could be quite good for Russian football. I'm just interested to know your thoughts on um, if you were going to reform the league. Of course, from 16, I quite like the 16 team format as well. I'd just like to know um, your thoughts on the uh, 12 team format and the, the split league in um, in Austrian football. And do you think that could um, work in the future for Russian football?
1: Um, yeah, if we take just the Austrian Bundesliga, I think it benefited from it. It profited from it massively uh, because. Um, They also have, um, they they don't only have this system. There's also uh, the moment when the uh, table splits, they uh, cut the points in half to make it uh, more interesting to watch because obviously Salzburg's dominance is a big problem for the league. But uh, in general, it has been uh, a very exciting reform. Uh, The only downside for that was that uh, I think the the league could complete one full season uh, in under these rules uh, before COVID came uh, and uh, there were mm, problems with attendance for the bottom six. So for these uh, remaining five home games that you have, uh, people were not just really eager to come to games against weaker teams. But this is just like one downside. In general, it uh, made the league... Uh, I think it even made the league more competitive because big teams are playing against big teams more often, and so they get more uh, like real football battle experience and uh, which is very important, especially when uh, it's a very young league in general, because the Austrian league um, in many teams have like very low average age and uh, they are not shy using um, youngsters. As for the Russian league, I think, yeah, uh, the league clearly needs to uh, reduce the number of teams because every year we see the same same old stories like Tambov, for example, when teams are just crumbling and not uh, being able to keep up with the financial requirements and so on and so on. And uh, it would make Russian football more um, sane, more healthy if we have less teams. Uh, yeah, I know the HyperQ perform uh, was pretty similar to what's implemented in, in Austria. Um, but I don't think uh, it would be accepted too well just because of the general conservatism around Russian football.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's almost been like, you know, <laughs> I kinda get what where you're coming from with that because the conservatism thing of it, I've heard it, you know, the foreigner limit. I mean, we really should be looking now at a decision already having been made on that. But obviously we're still not sure yet. The club's not sure yet on whether the foreign limit's gonna be relaxed, removed, kept the same. It's all a bit yeah, a bit up in the air. But yeah, I, I quite like the the twelve the twelve Bundes the twelve team Bundesliga format. Um and, you know, I think if you were going to reduce the size of the Russian Premier League, I think that would be a good idea. Um, I know a lot of people probably are against split leagues, but I think that format works quite well, obviously with the halving of the points. So yeah. And, you know, more intensive games at the end of the season when, you know, things are up for grabs and, you know, I think that is a good, um, a decent idea. Uh, and just one last thing about um, the the Austrian Bundesliga. Um, obviously, um, you mentioned it just there now about um, Salzburg's um, dominance of Russian fo- of Austrian football recently. Um, obviously, we at RFN have hopes that, um, and this is a topic we'll get on to later on in the podcast, that Dinamo might be able to, maybe if not this season, but next season, launch a feasible challenge to Zenit. They've been the one team at the moment who look like they can stay up there with Zenit and live with them. Obviously, Zenit have won the last three Russian Premier League titles and are looking for a fourth one straight now correct me if i'm wrong here but is is this as salzburg won the last eight austrian bundesliga titles and austria vienna was the last um austrian team other than salzburg to to win the austrian bundesliga am i right in in saying that
1: yeah that is correct and actually there hasn't been real competition for years apart from one season the the covid season the uh, 2019 2020, uh, 2020. Uh, because at that point, Lusk were really, really close to that. But uh, it was uh, both uh, Salzburg not really getting on well and crumbling around winter. Um, yeah, Jesse Marsh. Um, like, I can go hours and hours criticizing Jesse Marsh as a manager, honestly speaking. Uh, but... At the same time, Lusk were really strong because uh, they just uh, peaked at their uh, little transformation that they have been going through uh, for the past few years. Uh, Unfortunately, right now, things are not looking good for them because there were a lot of wrong decisions in the past couple of years. But at that time, they were really, really close. In February, they managed to uh, beat Salzburg and uh, um, I think they were leading the table when COVID hit. But uh, then uh, they just uh, managed to bury themselves because uh, they were that team that broke the COVID training rules and they were fined with, I think, four points deduction. And uh, yeah, since then it just went downhill. But this was the only moment when anyone could challenge Salzburg in the past years, which is actually, yeah, it's sad <laughs> in a way.
0: <laughs> yeah, Um I as uh, obviously me listen to the other Bundesliga podcast a lot. That's that's kind of the impression I get when I'm listening to um Tom, Lee, and Simon. You know, they they're always kind of wanting someone to get up there challenging them, and then all of a sudden Salzburg at the end, it seems, when I listen to the podcast, they almost just they get an extra gear and they pull clear. Um but yeah, just 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 one last question very briefly on that. Obviously, you know as as I referred to earlier, we're hopeful that Dinamo or maybe someone else can launch a strong channel to strong challenge to break Zenit's dominance in Russia. Um how far away do you think any of the other big Austrian sides are from challenging Salzburg? Uh, I mean, you know, I am um, kind of getting the impression Dinamo are quite close in Russia, but I thought that with Lokomotif last year and then Zenit just blitzed him in that 6-0 game and won the league. Do you think anyone is close to Salzburg soon? Could we getting could be getting a new champion in um in, in, in Austria um, like we're hoping for in Russia um, soon in the future?
1: No, I don't really think it's realistic to hope for that uh, because uh, Salzburg are just miles away uh, from everyone else infrastructurally, financially, and uh, it's just the system that is already self-sustainable because uh, they have... Uh, uh, their sporting director, Christoph Freund, is, in my opinion, one of the most interesting uh, sporting directors in, even in the whole Europe because uh, he has been responsible for Salzburg since 2015. Uh, before that, Ralf Ravnick, uh installed all the processes and uh, built the system. And since then, Freund uh, has done an incredible job at developing and tweaking it. And Salzburg are like a scouting machine, Uh, They have a very interesting new yacht system and the system just, yeah, it's a self-sustainable thing uh, because they have... Each year, there is one star that breaks through uh, and you already if you look close, you already know that, that there are the reserves, there are next names and you can point at them who will be the next ones. Who will be the next Holland, who will be the next Domi Soboslai, who will be uh, the next Patson Daka or right now Karim Adeyemi. It's uh, actually, I have a lot of hope for Rapid Vienna because yeah, they were in shambles for the past uh, half of the decade. Uh, but right now, I think they're on a more healthy way. Uh, They also got uh, a very clever sporting director. They have a cool young squad at the moment. They just uh, didn't have the right manager uh, for the past three years. Right now, they got a new one. It's Ferdinand Feldhofer, the one who uh, coached Wolfsburg at the time of their meeting with CSKA Moscow, Uh, but uh, it's still... We still have to look if they fit together well, but in general, I think uh, Rapid could be the closest in like long-term perspective, but uh, all in all, I don't see any chance to someone to beat Salzburg as it is if Salzburg just doesn't implode themselves.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's almost like you've sort of got to hope that in situations like with Salzburg and like with Zenny, you've got to kind of hope that they drop a level. If you want to see a different winner, they've got to drop a level and then you've got to have one or two teams below who could, you know, catch up. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'd probably go ahead with that as someone who obviously just takes, you know, a much smaller interest in, in Austrian in the Austrian Bundesliga Looking in from the outside, yeah, I'd probably say Rapid are probably the most likely name. Um, depends what the situation is with Youssef Demir now, whether they can whether Barcelona are actually gonna pay you know the fee to Rapid to buy him permanently. I don't know whether that's gonna happen or not. No, but they got eight million from the Europa League group stages. They can go on and run in the conference they get a bit more. Just about accumulating, you know, finance that way, you're getting a big player sale and then if you can accumulate enough Cash that way, then you can slowly start to upgrade it. Everything, and it's a bit like that with Dynamo. At the minute, they can get a good sale from zahayan and then reinvest. You know, it, it's that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, now moving on to uh, to German football, obviously, because um, that's um, another one of your of your specialities. Um, I'm just curious to um, know what your thoughts are about. Um, obviously, as a Spartak fan, you you're very familiar with uh, Domenico Tedesco and um, his spell at Spartak. Um, I I really thought he conducted himself brilliantly in his eighteen months, uh, at, at um at Um, he's just recently taken over as the new manager of RB Leipzig. Now, now for me, this was I thought he would get a Bundesliga job, Tedesco, but uh, I wasn't expecting one of the very top ones. Obviously, a vacancy has come available now with. Um, the, fire, the the firing of Jesse Marsh um, at, um, at uh, Leipzig, which did surprise me. How do you think Tedesco will get on at um, Leipzig? Is this too big a jump after Spartak or do you think he will prove a good fit there?
1: Uh, actually, to speak about this, we have to understand that uh, RB Leipzig are right now um, a mess of a club, honestly speaking. Everyone... Uh, Things have been swept under the carpet for a long time as they were performing well under Nagelsmann. But uh, right now you actually see that they are um, in organizational shambles, I would say, because after Rangnik left them, they are left with Oliver Minslav as their boss. I think his uh, actual job is like a CEO uh, because, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's like the head of the club at the, at the moment and he has not been doing a good job, let's put it just frankly. Uh, because um, this what happened this season, why Jesse Marsh uh, failed in the end. Uh, Anton Nagelsmann, uh, Leipzig... Uh, played a very successful football but it's not the red bull dna football because Nagelsmann focuses on possession Nagelsmann plays from possession and uh, red bull football has always been something uh vertical something uh uh pressing oriented something counter-attack oriented and this is the style that jesse marsh has and likes and uh so the whole project of uh, bringing Jesse Marsh to the club was basically a project of let's come back to the Red Bull DNA football. But uh, Oliver Minslav uh, managed to um, not get a replacement for a departing uh, sporting director. So in the summer, uh, the club ha- has basically had no sporting director. They couldn't replace the big uh, departures like Upamecano or Zabitzer. Because they had no sporting director yet again, uh, they uh, are left with a squad that uh, was built to play Nagelsmann style of football, but they have to play Mars football. And uh, so it's pretty obvious how the uh, how quickly things went wrong. Because uh, it's been said that uh, Jesse Marsh came to Minslov around the. Uh, match day seven or something to confess that he doubts that the project uh, is going to go well. Uh, so this is a situation, uh, that awaits Tedesco there. I think, yeah, after several several years at Spartak with Fedun and all his surroundings, uh, he is, um, like <laughs> mentally ready for something like that. But yeah, it's. It's similar to the situation where he arrived to Spartak because after all this mess with Kononov and uh, terrible squads like that had no football, no atmosphere in the dressing room and nothing, uh, he faces the same situation here. Um, he his appointment is also like a way to say that, uh, yeah, okay, we are going to give up on the Red Bull DNA project and we are going to go for someone more Nagelsmann style-like. alike. Uh, because, yeah, obviously Tedesco doesn't strike as a Red Bull football manager. Uh, but I think in the current situation, when the squad is more um, inclined to, well, take well his ideas um especially with the fact that uh, leipzig uh, have been uh, functioning pretty well in the 352 recently and under nagelsmann obviously too um it could go well it could go well actually but uh, i i'm giving it a slight doubt just in general because yeah uh, as you said the it's a big step up but in general, I always thought of, uh, of, I always rated Tedesco really highly, and I think he can can handle this level. Especially that uh, they're out of the Champions League right now, and their tasks are smaller and more modest right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I go with that. Um, as I said, I am quite surprised because I was thinking he might get a Bundesliga job around, you know, an Augsburg level of club. You know, someone maybe mid table or slightly lower. I, I, I am. Quite shocked at the the jump because obviously he was being linked with um, some sides right at the bottom of the Bundesliga or in at the top of Bundesliga too. But you know I, I don't think he's going to go back to Schalke after what happened last time. And you know given the fact Schalke are in a bit of a mess at the moment, and it's worth remembering that he got them second in the Bundesliga, you know, in his first season there before it it all went sour in the second season. But again, you know, you only have to look at the mess Schalke are off the field. Um, but yeah, I, I'm absolutely delighted for him, and I, I really hope I really hope Tedesco can do well because we were all at R.F.M. We were all quite impressed with the way he, you know, conducted himself when he was in Russia. I thought he was great. He was fun on the sidelines, um, you know, and he really got Spartak together. And he was almost a, a real charismatic character. You know, he really got the got the got the players together. Got them played some some nice football. Um, and yeah, I, I really really wish him well um, in his time back at um, in Germany with with Abi Leipzig. Um, I just want to know. Obviously, going across uh, Moscow now to Dynamo Moscow now, they also were a club for for years who were renowned for you know, chaotic, chaotic management at the top. Um, you know, in- inconsistent performances, inconsistent seasons, underachievement. But obviously in. Um, just recently, they uh, back in the start of 2020, they announced um, Zelko Buvac as their new sporting director, Jurgen Klopp's former assistant at Liverpool. And um, yes, and literally within um, six or seven months of Buvac taking over, I think it was maybe just a little bit later than that, uh, I think it was October last year, Sandro Schwartz, who used to coach um, Mainz um in the Bundesliga. Uh, took charge of um, Dinamo. He's been at the club 14 months now and the improvement in Dinamo has been absolutely off the scale since, um, since Schwartz arrived and and uh, the promotion of young players and the structure at Dinamo now with Buvac and Schwartz looks so much more better than what it's looked in the past. Uh, obviously, you follow um the German Bundesliga a lot. What did you make of Schwartz during his time at Mainz? And uh, what's your opinion also on um, how well how well he's done in Russia so far? And also your general opinion on on Buvach. Uh, they both recently signed contract extensions just just this week to twenty twenty four. So just want your general opinions on that, Anna. What 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 are your thoughts?
1: Um, I think let's start with uh, Jelko Bovac, because uh, honestly, I'm exceptionally surprised but by, by what we're seeing here, like positively surprised. But then again, if you think, it's not such a surprise. Because yeah, he has been uh, Jurgen Klopp's right hand for a very, very long time. They even played together as players, and then they worked together just like, I think almost from the start of uh, Jurgen Klopp's coaching career. And they parted ways in Liverpool um, a few years ago uh, under (laughs) unknown circumstances, because um, it was a pretty weird situation back then. But uh, during all the time they worked together, it was like uh, publicly... Well, accepted that uh, buvac is the mastermind behind uh, Klopp's tactics and Klopp's more of a motivator and uh, doing like administrative organizational stuff and so on. And uh, buvac is responsible for uh, the tactics. Um, I don't know if it's true. No one knows if it's true, but... Uh, so I also saw Buvac more of a, a coaching-oriented person, but uh, what he has been doing here at here at Dynamo, um, he just shows that he's uh, a, an absolute fantastic uh, manager in terms of like out-of-field things, um, and yeah, his job has been amazing. The squad looks really cool, really fought through, all the positions are covered. Their transfers of foreigners are mostly um, successful in the end. They have a very young, bright squad. They promote their own players. This is actually how a very healthy club looks like. And I'm... uh, Amazed to hear that because Dynamo have always been a very chaotic club, especially uh, around their relegations and, and return. Uh, but uh, also Schwartz's appointment uh, is a really cool one because uh, I always rated uh, Schwartz really high, highly at Mainz because he did an amazing job working with uh, the youngsters they had there. Uh, he also had like a very mediocre-looking squad, but he managed to uh, overachieve with the squad he had. And uh, the club also were uh, really happy with his work and uh, they gave him time. At some point, like other clubs m- uh, might have let him go earlier than he left the job. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was jumping over his head at Mines, And I think uh, um, he was a bit of an underrated. Manager in the Bundesliga, and I was surprised uh, to see him come into the Russian League uh, because I think I thought that he might get a job at another mid table Bundesliga team. Uh, but he's here, and I absolutely love watching Dynamo in the recent times.
0: Yeah, it's just such a, a breadth of fresh air watching Dynamo these last 18 months or so compared to, you know, I remember watching them when Novikov and Dmitry Hockloff were in charge, and it it was almost like they were winning games, you know, by accident, you know, winning games with a last-minute goal, you know, not playing particularly well, a lot of direct-style play, um, not really very well thought through it. It all seemed a bit of a mess, didn't it? But since Bouvac has come in and since since Schwartz has come in... um, yeah, I totally agree with you. There's certainly one of the most exciting sides to, to watch in the in the RPL now, the way he's blooded in the youngsters. And and yeah, I, I'm I really think this is good stuff that Schwartz has committed to twenty twenty four with Dinamo. And I I'm beginning to wonder if, you know, he's he's committing that long because he really is committed he, he really wants to see this through with Dinamo and, and win them a title. I mean, it's been such a long long, long overdue um, situation for a club of their size and their the stature. Obviously, they were one of the big clubs in the USSR era. And, um, and yeah, it's. I think this 2024 contract extension is just a way of saying before... I mean, because eventually I think Schwartz will want to go back to the Bundesliga and get a job there. You know, And, and I think he's probably taking the Tedesco route of, see what I can do at Dinamo for a few years in press. And then, you know, if I can win a title like a Russian Cup or challenge for a title, then, you know, that will attract the attention back home. In Germany, and then you know he could get himself a decent-sized um, club back back in the German Bundesliga, like uh, Tedesco has. And I, 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 think I understand what you're coming from with with his time at Mainz too, because I think almost with Mainz, you know they had they've had the two famous managers that they've had in the past have obviously been Jurgen Klopp and uh, Thomas Tuchel, and it, it's almost been since they've left. I mean, I don't know whether you agree with me on this or not, Anna, but it's almost like since they've left the managers since then have struggled by and large, you know, and, and you have to remember with Mainz, I think they only got to the Bundesliga for the first time under Klopp. You know, they're a very modest sized club. You know, there's so many clubs in the second Bundesliga who are who are bigger than Mainz in terms of history, stature, population, size, all that kind of thing. So, you know, I think he got the mid-table in his first full season in charge at Mainz too, from what I can recall. So that's obviously a decent achievement for a club of his size. Um, I don't know whether that's a fair um, description or would you agree with that by and large
1: yeah uh, absolutely agree with that uh it's just uh since two time i think uh they didn't really have a well they weren't run well i would say because they went through several um changes at the administrative level and they didn't go well in the end and They also struggled financially at some point. I think there were a few court cases around them for um, wasting money that shouldn't have been spent, I would say. So um, in general, it's pretty obvious where it all comes from. So um, yeah, and uh, Schwartz's work there uh, was a highlight of uh, him being actually a very talented manager.
0: Yeah, I say I, I can only really hope that this is a plan now to stick around at Dinamo to 2024 with Bouvac and try and, you know, um, put the cherry on top of the cake and, and win a title for Dinamo. I think that that's ultimately what, what the goal has got to be. They, they do seem to be getting close to Zenit. We'll, we'll come on to that a little bit later on in the podcast. Um, just another couple more questions on um, German football. Um, we seem to have seen a lot recently in uh, the Russian Premier League of... Um, a look towards Germany for you know both in the sense of managers and in the sense of um, sporting directors, technical technical staff uh, behind the scenes. We've obviously seen um, Tedesco and Schwartz come to G- to to Russian football. We recently had the um, the very short and sadly unsuccessful uh, Ralph Ranick um, um, spell at uh, Lokomotiv Moscow. He's Thomas Zorn is obviously there now. Um, I just want to ask your opinion on. Why do you think Russian clubs are turning to to Germany for inspiration? Um obviously, um, you know, German coaches are very in, in very high demand at the moment, um, in the Premier League for you know, with Tushaw, Klopp and um and, and others as well. So what what's what do you think has been the reason behind it? Um and what and do you think this is a trend that will continue in the upcoming years?
1: Uh, I think in general, there's uh, much more interest uh, in German football. Uh, Like it's growing, it's growing. Uh, And the main reason behind that is the coaching revolution. Because uh, basically all the modern football, let's use this term, uh, coaches come from Germany. Because uh, the processes that were started uh, by Rangnick and uh, his uh, uh, teachers, I would say, and it continued and in the past decade uh, Germany has uh, created a lot of uh, absolute top managers or just managers who are very interesting uh, in general and uh, like I think German Bundesliga was the first one to uh, use uh, more and more advanced stats for example so like uh, there has been a lot of progress in terms of how the clubs are run how um, managers are getting ready for the matches, how players are uh, managed and taught and uh, taken care of. So it has been a league that has been progressing recently. And why Russian uh, Premier League is uh, using more and more of these connections, uh, I think it comes the other way around in a way too, because um, Russia and Russian markets in football... Has been always interesting for Central Europe uh, because it's a big, uh, like, uncharted land. I would say uh, there were serious rumors that Red Bull are looking into buying some uh, a club in Russia. Uh, so yeah, all these jokes about uh, <laughs> Red Bull Spartak at some point. But yet again, uh, <laughs> we've, we've also he- heard the rumors about Ufa being a candidate or one of the FNL clubs, I would not name, um, were also um, a topic for discussions. Uh, So it hasn't happened yet, but it's a sign of the fact that in Central Europe, the Russian Premier League is seen as an attractive, uh, but uncharted territory. Um, And so, yeah, this is basically how it is. So uh, on one hand, we have... uh, um, modern progressing league that uh, has a lot of experience to share and on the other hand we have a big market
0: yeah I, i can i can see where they're trying to come from because obviously you know i think that's that's one advantage austria has i think over russia is the geographical location i think obviously you know, if you're a progressive young um, German manager and you're impressing in the lower tiers, but you can't get in at, at the Bundesliga clubs, you know the Austrian Bundesliga could almost be a a, a pathway to help you then get to the Bundesliga. You know, I, I think that's one advantage. And even in, in Switzerland, for example, too. You know, um, I think German, obviously German is a working language in both Austria and Switzerland. So I think that that's obviously those two countries very well connected with Germany. You know, you see a lot of transfers from those leagues. And, uh, you know, Gerardo Sierrani went to your club by Leverkusen from um, from Young Boys in the summer. And, you know, obviously we're seeing now with the promotion of Jesse Marsh from Salzburg to to Leipzig. And, you know, maybe even Matthias Yesler in the future too. Um so, yeah, it's obviously the, the advantage of Switzerland and Austria is because obviously they speak German, there's obviously that connection. So uh, that that is quite interesting. I just want to also ask your opinion on, um, well, it's not been, um, as you can probably tell from all the podcasts recently, it's not been particularly a very positive um, start for um uh, for, it's not been a positive start for one particular um, German manager in uh, Russian football in the shape of Marcus Gisdol. I mean, they got a win in the final game before the winter break, did Lokomotiv, but they're out of Europe. Um, just want to ask your opinion on Gisdol. I mean, when you heard the news, were you shocked? Because, um, um, yeah, all of us at RFM, we were sort of... We were, we were, we were wondering because we saw some names from the two Bundesliga, some young coaches being linked with the Lokomotiv position. And then when we saw Gisdol. Uh, I have a friend who follows German football quite quite a lot too, and when he told me the news about Gisdol going to Lokomotiv, he was like, "Yeah, I'm not bowled away by that. I'm not enthusiastic about that. That seems a bit of a gamble." And then, yeah, we've kind of all the signs that of what we were warned about with Gisdol before he came have have kind of come true. So, I just want your thoughts on Gisdol to Lokomotiv. It's it's not been the best so far, has it?
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's really predictable. Like uh, <laughs> it's going exactly as I expected when I first heard the news. But uh, yeah, in general, the whole Runnick saga at Lokomotiv has been really, really weird, especially if, as, for me as a person who follows uh, what Runnick has been doing uh, in German and Austrian football for a long while, because what he has been doing here is not really his style. It's a very weird way of... Uh, I would say it's looked like uh, he came to locomotive just to gain the first uh, line in his uh, agency CV and didn't really bother to do a good job at the same time because uh, he came there he brought in his uh, big five years program that he presented at that presser which actually looks like a compilation of his public lectures for the past 10 years honestly speaking and it didn't really have anything eye-opening. It was just um, a description of how a normal, uh, healthy club should look like, honestly speaking. Uh, and then he presents this five-year plan and he brings in, as a manager, he brings in Markus Gistel, who isn't really um, the most optimistic choice out of everyone. And he brings him on a one-year contract. That doesn't feel right, yes? So, um, yeah, Gisdol <laughs> has not been uh, exceptional at any of his previous jobs, honestly speaking. And uh, his style of football is uh, basically what we're seeing right now. It's a hierarchy football that um, doesn't end well in 99% of the situations. And, uh, yeah, for everyone who has seen at least one match under Gisdol, uh, in, before that everyone with this experience could have already said that it's not going to end well at Loco Because, um, but yet again I repeat the whole situation around Loco is really really um, out of the ordinary and out of what we could have expected when a person with such a reputation as uh, no is normally linked to so um, no, it's a mess.
0: Yeah, it seems like for me with Gisdor, the last decent job he did with, in a German club was it was back at eighteen ninety nine Hoffenheim. I think he was obviously. I think Nicholas Sula and uh, Roberto Firmino were two players who I remember, you know, playing for him back then. And I think he got the mid table. But yeah, his last two jobs at Hamburg and um, Köln have been just a disaster. Um, they really haven't been good. I mean, I I kind of understood, Lokomotif was a difficult one because obviously if you wanted to bring in a coach from Germany like Raniot did when he was there, obviously you're going to, it's difficult to get managers to move mid-season. There was talk of Robert Klaus from Nuremberg and you know, I, one I, one coach I would have been intrigued to see who I, I know has been getting a reputation as vital Bundesliga in Germany recently has been uh, Werner, but obviously for his job at um, Holstein Kiel, I think it was, but obviously now he's gone to um, to Werder Bremen. Um, that would have been an interesting choice, but obviously at the time I think he was still in work at Kiel, and and you know Gisdor was free, so maybe that would have. Um, Conditioned locomotive appointing, but yeah, it, it's just not been good so far. I mean, I remember watching the locomotive game against Marseille recently, and it's just they offered absolutely nothing all game, and you could literally count the number of games they've had under the Kistol that have been good. On one hand, it's it's just been that poor. I mean, do you think someone like a Werner or a Klaus would have been good for locomotive, like from the two Bundesliga?
1: Yeah, because uh, generally hmm. the concept that Rangnick uh, left the club with i would um, be careful with choosing my words here uh it's basically includes having a young prospective manager who will come and make connection with young players who will uh, have a modern playing style and uh, the the team the squad and the manager will both develop this is how it normally works at salzburg this is how it worked at uh, this is how it worked at hoffenheim and. Uh, uh, Rangnick grew when he was not coaching himself, uh, and this was what was expected. So yeah, names like Klaus, names like um, Werner, and maybe we could think of someone else. But uh, yeah, the problem is mid-season, and the problem is that uh, yet again, why I'm careful uh, speaking about this whole situation. Rangnick worked with Gisdol a lot. So basically around wrote uh, uh in his <laughs> Ocean's Eleven, I would say. And uh, yeah, it's weird. It's weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hope he turns it around, Gizdor. But yeah, I'm, I'm already beginning to have my doubts. Um, yeah, it's not great at the moment. So yeah, I think that that covers everything on um, the Austrian and German um, links with Russian football. So some fascinating insight there that we've had from uh, from Anna. And now moving on to domestic matters, um, there's two things I'd like to bring up before we wrap the pod up, and that's the first of which is um, the unfortunate um, recent events at um, at Spartak. Now, obviously. We were on cloud nine after last week's pod when the 2 1 win, when they won their win over Legia Warsaw, um, saw them top the Europa League group and progress automatically to the round of 16. But then Spartak came crashing back down to earth, um, seeing out the end of the um, match the 18 programme of the Russian Premier League, the final game before the winter break with a 3 0 away loss at PFC Sochi. Courtesy goals from Christian Naboa, Yevlin Popov, and Arte Um This defeat um dropped Spartak down to ninth place in the RPL standings. Uh, they are currently uh 13 points behind Dinamo in 2nd and 15 points behind Zenit at the top of the table. And all the reports that we heard pre um game against Legia that Rui Vittoria was to leave his position uh proved true. He was um fired by um by Spartak just this week um after just 18 rounds. Of the season, uh, reports are linking um, Paolo Vanoli, who was a former left-sided um, player at both left fullback and left winger um, at clubs like Parma, Fiorentina, and Glasgow Rangers, is been um, the man linked with the job, and many are expecting him to arrive and sign at Spartak. It's only still rumours at this moment in time, but he is the favourite to arrive at Spartak and sign. So, um, here's my take on this and then I'll I'll hand it over to Anna and see what um, she thinks about the situation. Uh, I think that um, I'm sort of torn on this because I think Vittoria's achievements in European football this season with Spartak, considering how disastrous a start it was for Spartak, uh, did merit, in my opinion, giving him till at least the end of the season. Um, But... I do think the results domestically were not great. Um, it's sort of that double-edged sword. I would have liked to have seen them stick with him, but I can understand why Spartak have decided to make this decision. Um, obviously, with Vanoli, um, he was formerly Antonio Conte's assistant manager at both Chelsea and at Inter Milan in three of the last um, four seasons. I think he's been an assistant manager with the Italian national team as well. And I can understand where Spartak are coming from for this because I think the top three finish is sort of out of the question at the moment, given the poor start. But European football's been parked till mid March because obviously they get a buy into the last 16 of the Europa League. If you bring in a new coach now, it will give him six months until the end of this current season uh, and a whole winter break programme where you can have friendlies to fine tune things. There's some new signings coming in at Spartak, as we've discussed with Klassen and uh, Husevich. And I think this could be an interesting move because it gets it will give him a chance to get up to speed, you know, get them up the table, have 12 games remaining in the current RPL and maybe one or two games in, and then maybe two, three, three or four games in Europe, depending on how fast Spartak gets. So, you know, fine-tune everything, get his squad together. And then next season, you see the real, when he gets his first full season in charge, you can then see the real progress hopefully start to be made. Um, you know, I think Conference League qualification is still on for Spartak. I think that's a competition which, with a good manager, with their squad, they could do quite well in. Um, I think, you know, they could have a really good run in that because I think it's a competition which has been designed for leagues like Russia. So that's just my take on the um, on Vitoria situation. I understand why he's been dismissed, but I, I do think part of me thinks it is a little bit harsh. I'm, I'm intrigued to know um, what you think on the... Um, uh, firing of Rui Vittoriana. Uh, What's your thoughts on that and um, on on my views on the new manager situation?
1: Yeah, I can totally understand your uh, point of view and I think you're right in many things, but uh, when we are speaking about Spartak, every time we have to speak about stuff uh, in the background because uh, things that are happening at Spartak are not happening only on the football pitch. They are happening behind closed doors too. Uh, And uh, as we know, Spartak is run by um, a very interesting uh, system, I would say, with the the owner Leonid (laughs) Fedun and his wife Zerema Salikova, who has a big say in what's happening. Um, yeah, as we could uh, follow her way of thoughts uh, during her uh, brief um, coming to uh, telegram I and mean, she, she ran a telegram channel and it was an absolute mess because she basically um, wrote about things that should not reach the public uh, in what's happening in the background at the club. Uh, but uh, Rui Vittoria was doomed from the start because she didn't like him. She wanted to bring Paolo Vanoli uh, this summer. But she couldn't convince uh, people who made a decision for uh, Rui Vittoria. And uh, in the end, it was this situation when Vittoria was not welcomed by a big part of, um, I would say, opinion makers at the club just from his day one. Uh, I think he uh, behaved perfectly under pressure all this time. I like thank you because you did really, really decently. You went through it with a lot of uh, dignity. (laughs) But um, in general, it it was not meant to be just from the beginning because there were so many obstacles uh, in uh, in this situation, and uh, he never really made contact with the dressing room either, as we also can't notice from one or two signs that are coming up from that. So it was not about football, seriously. So this is why, like, um, there are two faces of Spartak we are seeing this season. Because in the games that really, really matter, they uh, get it together and do their jobs well. But in general, like in everyday life, things are just not working out uh so yeah i also think that uh, the european campaign could have uh given him a chance to stay until the end of the season but uh yet again you cannot work under pressure under such massive pressure uh, for such long periods of time so it's pretty obvious why he he left Uh, But uh, honestly speaking, I'm really skeptical about the Vanoli appointment if it happens. But as things stand, uh, media are reporting that uh, tomorrow's the presentation. So we'll see. Because uh, it is a weird appointment because he doesn't have any uh, first team uh, experience as head coach. Yes, he has been Antonio Conte's assistant. He worked at absolute top clubs. Okay, we get it. But you can't really uh, find a second Massimo Carrera because Massimo Carrera's story was just unique. It was um, something that, like many, many things, uh, came together as puzzle pieces, for example. And uh, right now you just basically, oh, okay, let's get another Antonio Conte's manager with no experience. Maybe it will work for the second time. Uh, Spoiler alert, it doesn't work normally like that. So I'm very sceptical about that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's a strange way. It's almost like this one, this appointment, it's almost like Spartak are trying to, let's just say, um, hope for a second coming of Carrera. You know, I think it's got the Carrera blueprint if you like um, I use that word in a very loose term all over it because obviously Carrera worked as Conte's assistant at Juventus and 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 yeah that I can see that's where Spartak are trying to look at it but I certainly agree with you yes and I certainly agree with you that this is a risk because obviously Van Alli has no first team experience you know his his whole coaching career has mainly been as a number two with I think with Italian youth teams with Italy National team as assistant, and then obviously with 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 um Chelsea and with um with Inter under Conte. Um, obviously he'll probably play a back. I can't second guess it. Obviously, but I assume he's going to probably play a back three. So obviously Spartak are used to playing that formation based on recent in recent seasons. So yeah, it's a complete mystery. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, there's always that scepticism about it. I think yeah and but obviously we'll just have to wait and see but yeah i think it was tough for Vitoria, obviously with all the stuff going on behind the scenes at spartak um i mean <laughs> we we discuss it all the time on all the pods um and yeah it's <laughs> i just think yeah it, the results in europe were good but obviously i can understand it from a domestic standpoint because the results in the russian premier league were not good and um finally our, our last bit of topic, speaking of the russian premier league it was the the game of the ma- the, ma- the game of the match day was the was the game at VTB Arena where um Dynamo drew 1-1 with Zenit. Um Zenit took the lead on 34 minutes courtesy of Claudinho, um one of the stars of the the RPL season so far. Lovely build-up play on the right-hand side from Malcolm who did a wonderful long run before laying it off to, to Mostovoy, who then combined well with Karavayev to Crossed the ball low into the bath of Claudinho, who made it 1-0 to Zenit, and it was a fully deserved lead going into half-time, as Zenit were the best side by far in the first half. However, the second half, it was very much a game of two halves. Dinamo were by far the better side in the second half, and deservedly got their goal, their equalising goal on 72 minutes. Lovely link-up play between Denis Makarov and um, Guillermo Varela, Varela on the right side, who Swung in an accurate cross towards the back post where Dmitry Skopintsev ghosted into the space and slammed home the equalising goal. And I think um, if you look at the shots, 12 to Dinamo, five to Zeni, both and um, five shots on targets, Dinamo and three for Zeni, you could probably argue the second half performance. Dinamo probably at minimum deserved the draw, maybe even slightly edged the game. Um, it's a result which leaves Dinamo just Two points behind Zenit going into the winter break. Dinamo on 36, Zenit on 38. And I think that equaliser was important for so many reasons because had Zenit won the game eventually, that would have um, meant that they were uh, five points clear of Dinamo, and that probably, mm. in all honesty, would have probably sealed another title for Zenit. Um, I still think Zenit are favourites for the for the title. Um, irrespect- and I've, I actually thought, irrespective of of what happened in the game against Dinamo, where even if Dinamo had won and took the lead of the table going into the winter break, I still think Zenit are favourites. But this game was quite interesting to see because it was good to see a team go toe-to-toe with Zenit, and Dinamo have been the most likely team to do that all season. So it does give you hope that you could see a title race in the RPL come the spring, and I think it's something that we'd all absolutely welcome, and I think it would also benefit um, Zenit as well and raise their level. Um I'm just curious whether you whether you saw this game Anna and uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, Dynamo 1 uh, Zenit 1
1: Um yeah honestly speaking I missed the game I just watched it on highlights uh, after that but uh, yeah as we've discussed that before um Dynamo Moscow look like a very healthy team at the moment and The fact that they managed to get to the winter break only uh, having two points less than than it is very, very important because this will uh, clearly be um, a big push for the preparation, for the mood, for everything. And yeah, as uh, winter training in Russia is long and uh, tiring, you have to get the to the winter break in the right mood and this is absolutely the thing that uh, absolutely the thing that dynamo did in the, uh, this weekend and uh, i also don't really think they are going to keep up with zenith for too long so there will be some point that they will break so i, I don't really think it's going to be a title race until the end of the season uh, especially now that, yeah, Dynamo have a very cool squad, but I believe if any serious injuries like, for example, lesa voice in- injury was compensated by other players, but if anyone else, uh, God forbid, uh, manages to um, injure, get a serious injury or something, they might not really have the power and the squad depth to compensate that. So, um, yeah, we'll just see what happens. But this uh, one point was crucial for the whole league, for the whole scenarios that are happening right now. And I think they can be happy with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I go with that. And I think Sebastian Simanski actually didn't play in that game at the weekend um I think he was still recovering from a small knock that he took. Um, I think when Krotov um, did that tackle on him, that poor tackle on him, which injured the back of his foot Um, and Krotov in the the previous game against Ufa, when Dinamo played Ufa, got sent off for that. And yeah, I think Szymanski was a big miss for Dinamo in this game Um, because obviously he was the November player of the season, has been playing exceptionally well. Um, Lezavoy I think is back in the 1st of February I think TransferMert had information on that and I think Szymanski's injury I think it's straight away in the new year he will be back so fingers crossed those two players can um can get back uh, to fitness for the resumption of play I think they should do Um, and yeah I, I agree with you I, I just don't quite see Dean Amo this season having the depth to go with Zenit Um, I think their best bet is probably next season try and maybe take advantage of a little bit of turbulence at Zenit because I think you know, As Moon, there's reports of him going to Olympic Lyonnais. Um, There's a couple of other players at Zenit out of contract. There might be some more interesting players like Barrios, transfer-interested players like Barrios and Claudinho. So Zenit might be going through a bit of a transitional phase come the end of the season. So that will be interesting to see how they manage that. But yeah, I totally agree. I, I think this season, I'd like to see Dinamo go to the end with Zenit, but I just can't see it. I think Zenit will eventually pull away. I think maybe it's Swartz needs another year yet with this Dinamo team as they get better mature and maybe one or two more signings to, to push them over the line um, and yes speaking of the final round of the Russian Premier League um, before the winter break I'll just give a brief overline of the scores um, Krylia Sovietov 2, Rubin Kassan 0, Siska Moscow 2 Arsenal 2, Lanil, FK Rostov 1, Uralya Katerinburg 4, Dinamo Moscow 1 Zenit 1 as we just recently discussed Akhmat Grozny 4, F- FK Kimki 1 Krasnodar 0 Nishinovgorod, Novgorod 0 Lokomotiv Moscow 2 FC Ufa 0 and finally PFC Sochi 3 Spartak Moscow 0 So um in other news um the draw for the um UEFA Nations League um 2022-23 took place this is obviously this is a uh, the tournament which will predetermine um it, it acts as part of the qualification process for Euro 2024 uh Spornaya are in group B of the competition and today they were drawn against Albania, Iceland and um and Israel. Uh on paper you could say that's one of the best draws Spornaya could have asked for but as we all know on this podcast <laughs> that uh following Spornaya can you know be a torturous experience at times and you know they can also you know disappoint when you're expecting good things from them but on paper if you would have offered me and all of us at RFN that draw pre-draw I think we would have all taken it um and I think that is it for our podcast today so um I just want to say um a huge thank you Anna to um for your appearance today it was a um, fascinating insight um into Austria Austrian German and Russian football and all the similarities and differences between them how ideas can be shared and all the other topics that we discussed today uh is there anything before we go that you would um, like to plug
1: um no i don't think so um just uh, um, thanks for having me here and it was a big big pleasure for me too so it was a nice evening and a nice discussion
0: <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed it um yeah huge huge thank you to coming on it was an absolute pleasure to to have you on the podcast and um and yeah, um, and that and that and uh, ladies and gentlemen, that that is it for 2021 on, on RFM Podcast. So um on behalf of myself, on behalf of James, and on behalf of David and all the other people that appeared on our on our podcast over this um over this year, we'd like to wish you a very Merry Christmas and uh Novi Godom, Uh happy new year. And um we will be back actually sooner than you think, actually. We will be taking a little break for Christmas and New Year, but we'll be back in the first or second week of January to do a Team of the Autumn, that's obviously a team uh, RPL, Team of the Autumn podcast, where we discuss who's obviously been the best players so far, or who's our Team of the Year so far in the RPL, in the 18 rounds that have gone so far. But um, yeah, I'd like to reiterate, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everybody, and this has been the RFN Podcast, goodbye for now. Bye bye. Bye bye. Идет футбольный
1: матч, летит на поле мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечо. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, Быстро до увлечения расчет.